Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group. I edit and publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My colleague and 25-year friend, I believe now, something like that, is Bruce Aldrich. And today we have on uh, Matt Moore, an expert, and Matt is with the uh, Insurance Institute of Highway Safety, but he's also responsible for a very important program. So, Matt, um, welcome to our podcast, and could you tell us a little bit about your area of expertise, and in particular, maybe an overview of um, the project that Progressive is involved with? Sure, great. Uh, So, I'm Senior Vice President with the Highway Loss Data Institute, or HILDI, as -hmm. we call ourselves. Yes. Uh, HILDI is the sister organization to the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, both organizations work uh, on, on similar issues and, and work together on those issues. Uh, I think most folks who are familiar with the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety know us from our crash testing. Yes. Crash testing of new vehicles. Uh, also heavily involved in the evaluation of vehicles with advanced driver assistance systems and driving automation systems. Hildy shares the, the same mission, uh, but we, we conduct studies on similar issues using insurance data. And uh, so you, you made mention of Progressive's article and initiative to, to understand and digest you know, what's happening in the transportation space uh, with regard to advanced driver assistance systems and potentially driver automation, both from a a safety perspective and from an insurance perspective. And uh, we, we, to some extent, partnered with them on that initiative. You've been at this a long time. I think I read a reference to 20 years, something like that. So I've been uh, with Hildy since 1999, uh, in terms of my involvement in evaluating advanced driver assistance systems, uh, even though this is relatively new technology, I've been at that for about 12 years now. Great. Yes, that uh, makes you an expert. James and I have been driving uh, cars upwards of 50 a year. Yes. And so we're familiar with these driver assist technologies and at first, we thought they were quite burdensome. You know, five, six years ago, we didn't under- mm-hmm. really stand them, understand yep. them. And, and now it's like, boy, if you don't have blind spot or um, yep. some rear of these cameras, other things, yeah. rear cameras, I yep. mean, you, yep. it, it, it's silly. So could you tell us some of the, you know, the, the latest, greatest technologies out there and, and which ones actually maybe uh, either save lives or prevent crashes? Sure. Um so let, let's kind of back up to sure. when we first started studying these systems, because it's interesting because the, the, the results, as we call them, haven't changed all that much. And new technologies have, have come along. But I, I think that the big one and, and the one that I, I feel the most kind of professional satisfaction about is front auto braking systems. Uh, these are systems that, that eliminate uh, – <laughs> A lot of problems related to human error, inattention, or rapidly emerging circumstances. So the vehicle is just watching the, the road environment ahead, and if it senses a crash imminent situation, it's going to hit the brakes for you. And 
Our best estimate is if we look at, at front-to-rear crashes in police-reported data, those systems eliminate about half of those crashes. So that's really good stuff. That's and amazing. That's yeah. an amazing statistic, yeah. yes. It's, it's an amazing statistic. And it also produces really good results when we look at uh, insurance coverages. So property damage liability is the insurance coverage that pays for damage you do to other vehicles when, when you're at fault. So if you hit somebody else with your car, your property damage liability coverage pays for the damage to the other vehicles. And that's a coverage which is required by every state. And the reduction in those types of claims is about 15%. So it's good stuff from a safety perspective, also really great technology from an insurance perspective. And, and the, the great news is basically uh, September of this year, 2022, as a consequence of work that the IHS and Hildy did and a voluntary commitment with uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the vast majority of new vehicles sold after September of this year are all going to have that front auto brake system. That's fantastic. That's really good, yeah. Do you guys test those? I mean, they can't all be the same. Some are going to be more effective than others. So we've been testing those for uh, quite a while, and uh, we, we assign a rating of uh, basic, advanced, and superior and simply put, the basic systems kind of just warn you, maybe they do a little bit of braking, whereas the superior systems, those systems are able to ace both of the tests that we conduct, and those tests are done at 12 and 24 miles per hour. And we're at a point now where about 85% of the vehicles that we're t- testing score that superior rating. They're able to ace both of the tests, which, you know, straight line, front to rear, 12 and 24 miles per hour, these vehicles are able to, to fully avoid that type of crash scenario. Um, this is a step backwards again, but I've always wondered, do you, uh, if, if you'll forgive a little bit of a curveball here, do you guys consider yourselves a complementary organization to the other guys, so to speak, or are you competing organizations? Uh, I'm going to take a third option. Okay, uh, please. An, an interesting, an interesting bit of, of, of highway safety history. Yes. Uh, Dr. Bill Haddon was the original head of what we now call the national highway traffic safety administration. Yes. Dr. Bill Haddon was also, uh, the first president of, of what we now think of as the insurance Institute for highway safety. Yes. And he had the same vision for highway safety when he was at NHTSA and when he came here. And as a consequence, if you read their mission statement and our mission statement, it's the same thing. So we're working for the same things. Uh, uh, As a government agency, for better or for worse, uh, NHTSA uh, has to deal with the political process. Yes. By contrast, we, we... we, we don't have their res- the same resources that they do, uh, but we don't have some of the same restrictions. That's a very good explanation. Thank you. I had really no clue of that background, so I've been educated, so, so thank you for that. Yeah. What's the latest on pedestrian crash avoidance? So that's a, a neat one, and when I talk about 
front crash prevention, one of the things I often say is that one of the things we tried to do when we first started testing front crash prevention systems back in 2013 was we felt that if consumers were paying to get the technology on their vehicles, they should get the maximum benefit from that technology. Does that make sense? Sure. Sure. You know, as opposed to just having this warning system, which in the warning systems are, they're good. They're associated with, with reductions in, in crashes that cause injury to people and physical damage. So nothing wrong with those warning systems, but if you have the sensors on the vehicles, which can detect a crash, why not use them to avoid crashes? And so in moving vehicles from being you know, sort of basic rated to superior rated, we, we felt that society was getting maximum benefit and consumers were getting maximum benefit from these technologies they were paying for on their vehicles. And conceptually, pedestrian detection is a similar thing. Uh, in 2019, we began rating and evaluating uh, pedestrian crash prevention systems and at that point in time, only 21% of vehicles got our top rating. Now, in 2022, 55% of the vehicles we've evaluated achieved that top rating. Gotcha. That's, that's a and, big and, improvement. You know, yeah, and, and you know, it's an interesting discussion because on balance of the crashes avoided, oftentimes there's this an argument, and it, to some extent it's justifiable that it – the additional sensors that enable these functionalities um, come with a cost. They drive up the cost of the vehicle. They drive up cost of vehicle repairs. And for the most part, that's mostly true. Um, if, if you have another hour or two, we can get into <laughs> some of the caveats and qualifiers there. But where I'm going with this is many vehicles with front crash prevention, those systems, that functionality is enabled by a camera-based sensor and as a consequence, those cameras could be used to look for pedestrians. And, and so this was uh, something that was an extension of functionality that was, for the most part, already on the vehicle. And, and so this, we, we feel, is a win for consumers. This is a win from a, a safety perspective. We, we sort of pushed manufacturers to utilize some of the onboard technology already to confer additional safety benefits. Uh, I think it's been five or six years since I really uh, was attuned to, and maybe Bruce is the same way, where you're in a new vehicle, and on the average, I think you know, there's 60 or 50 or 60 different um, technology functions on a, on a new car or a new tr light tr a lightweight truck, and the public might use 18 or 20 of them, and I was intimidated at first. And now I've come around to trusting a backup camera or a side camera or uh, a head-up display. Uh, is there any way to quantify the people who are coming on board with these things? Or do you folks ever hear from the public that say, I don't care what you guys are touting or investigating or taking a look at. I just want a simple car. Have we, have we, have we advanced for that in, in general terms, do you think? So... That's one I can't answer directly. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't necessarily surveyed the general public to ask them how they feel about these technologies in general. But one that's interesting and applicable uh, is that 
In our first studies of advanced driver assistance systems, consistent with our expectations, these front auto brake systems are working really, really well. In contrast, we didn't see benefit associated with lane departure warning, and it was a real head scratcher for us. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we did was partner with manufacturers so that we could look at vehicles that were brought in for service and assess whether or not these technologies were turned on. And the interesting thing was front auto brake was on about 92% of the time. In contrast, the lane departure warning systems were only on about half of the time. And so it, it was a strong indication that consumer acceptance of these technologies could play a big role in whether or not they would consumers and society would benefit from the technology. And, and the, our interpretation of the, the, the data was that there was a high level of acceptance with front auto brake. There wasn't much variability when we looked from one vehicle to the next. So the implementation there was fairly homogeneous, high level of acceptance in contrast, overall a low average for lane departure warning, but a massive range in terms of looking at vehicles from first to worst. So the best vehicles, those systems were on over 70% of the times, the quote unquote worst implementations they were only on 20% of the time. So the implementation, our interpretation was that the implementation mattered a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think about when you're about to hop in a car with someone, you know, hey, let's go somewhere. Like, well, I'll drive, you know, like with my wife and I, she hates the way I drive. So if we're going somewhere. <laughs> That's a common husband-wife wants- dilemma, I do believe. <laughs> What's new with that? What's yeah. new with that? <laughs> Nothing's new. It's it's so. It's what's funny is there's nothing new about it. But when you step back and you think about, say, automated driving, yes, or some of these driver assistance systems that make decisions for you about how the vehicle operates, it's equivalent to you know you're sitting in the steer the the driver's seat, and not only is is someone else in the vehicle yelling at you about the way you're driving, in some instances, they're driving the vehicle while you're in the driver's seat. Yes, and uh, front seat or back seat experts. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, my own experience with one of the vehicles in our test fleet, um, I was on, um, it wasn't an interstate, but it was a, a limited access road, separated road, two lanes in each direction. And I was going around a curve. I was passing a, a tractor trailer going around a curve and the tractor trailer was kind of cheating towards the middle of the road. So he was squeezing me. I was feeling uncomfortable. So I steered towards the the inside of the curve, away from the truck. And the lane departure prevention system kind of nudged me back towards the the truck a little bit. And I was okay with that. That didn't bother me all that much because it was just sort of a gentle nudge away from the lane line. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. I I really want to be further away from this truck. And so I steered harder, and at that point, um, another system kicked in, and it, and it felt like just something had reached down and, and grabbed the vehicle and just moved the entire vehicle back close to uh, this truck. And at that point, I disarmed the system and stopped using it. It just it scared me that much. It was so disconcerting that you know I was making a maneuver which I felt was sort of safety positive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the yes. vehicle's like. No, why don't you get closer to this truck that's encroaching <laughs> on your space? Yeah, those are those systems and, are a little alarming, yes. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it, it, it gets back to this notion, I think, that, that you were sort of getting to, which is 
how does consumer acceptance play a role in whether or not society benefits from any of these technologies? Yes, sure. Matt, I had a question maybe you have an answer to. Uh, We spoke with somebody in the insurance business that mentioned that uh, Tesla vehicles were one of the highest uh, priced for auto insurance. And a lot of that we always think of as performance, and they're high-performing vehicles. But I wonder if all the uh, gizmos and lane departure and you know, so-called, uh, what do they call it, auto mode or whatever he calls it, does that cause more accidents or do you think, is that part of the problem, why it's so expensive to insure a Tesla? So, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, I, I need to figure out how to answer that question without sounding like I'm obfuscating. So mm-hmm. we, just a, a little bit, in a few background pieces. So we conduct our studies using, quote-unquote, insurance data. And so that includes uh, information, what we refer to as exposure. So we know how many vehicles are insured for how many days, and then we know the claims associated with those. Okay. And, and from that, we can calculate the things that we call claim frequency, which is how often do vehicles get in the crashes, or in the case of ADAS, what's the claim change in claim frequency if you put front auto brake on a vehicle relative to vehicles that don't have front auto brake. We can also calculate what's called claim severities. We know how many claims occur. We know what those claims cost. So we can calculate average claim costs. And then we can, from those two metrics, frequency and severity, we can create this other metric, which is called overall losses, which is a great indicator of how much you're going to pay to insure one vehicle versus another. What we don't have is, quote, unquote, premium information, how much... uh, insurance customers actually are paying to insure vehicles. So that's just, it's an important distinction. With regard to the the Teslas, though, um, they have, they're very tech-laden. They've got most of the technologies. When when you think about sort of the seminal advanced driver assistance systems, they've got them all. and it's interesting because the, the Model S is the longest selling of the, the Teslas, and uh, those are certainly vehicles that have high insurance losses. Uh, that's not necessarily the case for, say, the Model 3. And okay. so it's, it's, I guess what I'm getting at is you can't paint these things with such a broad brush, but it, it is absolutely true that the... Uh, the Model S is a vehicle that has high losses. Yes. That's, well, thank when you, you got you got autopilot and you've got ludicrous mode. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's not a great combo, maybe. And maybe some ludic- ludicrous drivers, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's another point. Um, and, and, yes, Matt, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to mention, it, it's, it, it's going to be an issue we're going to have to monitor on a, on a go-forward basis. Uh, yeah, the Model S has ludicrous mode. It's got plaid mode. Uh, and up until four or five years ago, that amount of power just simply was not available to the average consumer. And now with startups like Lucid and Rivian, uh, it, it seems like you're not going to be able to, to be a part of that club unless you're able to, to produce somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,000 horsepower. Right. Which, from a safety perspective, 
isn't necessarily a great thing. <laughs> no, especially with teenage drivers, huh? Matt, uh, yep. I have an, in another area, um, this is going to perhaps sound a little flippant, but the information that you're providing us today is so important, and the survey that the graphics and the details that Progressive provided to us, um, somehow that's got to translate into Progressive's marketing and commercials and getting it out to the public. And I think everybody's aware of the kind of comical nature, and I don't mean that to be disparaging, but they take up an approach with their spokeswoman to have fun commercials and to make light of things that maybe need to be a little lighthearted sometimes. But the information is so important. I'm wondering how Progressive is going to tell the public with that, uh, maybe with your help or assistance or consulting, to the, to get it to the public in a, in a commercial rather than the the spokeswoman that they have now, who just takes it as a you know an I Love Lucy episode. It seems like to me. So that's my vent for today. What do you think about uh, a serious commercial, for example? Yeah, marketing is not my area of expertise, <laughs> but one of the one of the things it. it, it you touch on an incredibly important topic, yes, and that is uh, driver education and 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 or the human mechanical interface. And I had a I, I had to do one of my first in person presentations last week, so it was my first time in a rental car in a long time. Yes, and the vehicle I was in did some really cool stuff. Uh, it had blind spot. It had lane departure warning. It also had adaptive cruise control, but there were buttons on that vehicle that despite the fact that I do what I do, I, for the life of me, could not figure out what the point and purpose of those buttons was. And it also took me a little bit to figure out exactly how to arm and make use of the adaptive cruise control system. Yes. And during my presentation, someone said to me, you know, do, do ask me if I thought enough was being done to educate drivers. And you know, I, I said, you know, and I, I sort of, I, I stalled for a little bit and, uh, I see, you know, I'm trying to decide whether I should be flippant to your, your question yes, yes. or be respectful. And I yes. said, cause you specifically asked me, do I think there's enough education going on? And that implies there's some or any education going on. <laughs> Thank you for that, and, Matt. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, I think from a safety perspective, I think, I think a lot more could, uh, this is a space that needs work. I, I think we need to do more to educate drivers about what these systems actually do. Uh, I think how we name them uh, is important. I think uh, when we use names that imply to drivers that vehicles are capable of driving themselves, it sets expectations that probably aren't safety positive and, and induces use patterns that aren't safety positive. Um, so I, I, I think we need to, to think more about how we name these things. I think the, the icons and illustrations we put on buttons uh, we should contemplate standardizing those in some fashion. And then I think uh, we need to start paying a lot of attention to coming up with strategies to educate drivers about how to use the systems on their vehicles. And then the, the other piece is software updates. You know, I, I think a lot of folks don't understand how to use the technologies on their vehicles. And that's assuming that we don't change anything. 
but now with over-the-air updates of possibility, we're kind of altering and changing critical vehicle functionality uh, over the air. That introduces a whole other dimension to the need for driver education and driver information. Thank you. I agree. Boy, that that's, was about as well said as I've ever heard anybody explain that. Thank that's you. That's Tesla again, that's Ch- Tesla. changing the dynamics of the how the car runs. I have another quick follow-up, and, and uh, also for maybe a little bit of a lighthearted area. Sometimes you hear about people who are very self-important, let's just say in the entertainment business, and they go into a situation and the line comes out, do you know who I am? So I'm wondering, when you go to purchase a vehicle, <laughs> do you have to go incognito? Do they know who they're dealing with when you go to buy a vehicle or lease a vehicle? Or do you keep it on the, on the lowdown? <laughs> I, try, I try very hard to, uh, to keep it on the lowdown. But gotcha. uh, it, it, can be, it can be very frustrating. And one of my, my favorite stories with regard to driver education was occasionally the, the folks on my team that are responsible for collecting vehicle information have to go to car dealerships. And one of them came back with this story that as they were on approach to a dealership, there was a salesperson in a vehicle or outside of a vehicle talking to a potential buyer who was sitting in the driver's seat. And the the salesperson was saying, okay, now, now that you have it in reverse, you just have to wait for a second for the satellites to sync with the vehicle. And then the bird's eye view of the vehicle will, from the satellites, will come up on the that uh, that display in the center stack. <laughs> oh my gosh! There, Foreign there, language. There is no vehicle. Yeah, there there is no vehicle which uses satellite imagery to drive the backup cameras, and it, it was just it. We 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 laugh about that story constantly, sure. but I think it it points to the fact that you know, there's just not a lot of good information out there about how all these systems function. And uh, on one hand, I feel the manufacturers deserve a lot of credit for bringing some of these technologies, which are, you know, it can't be overstated the extent to which they're, they're save, literally saving lives. But on the, on the flip side, uh, from a consumer information perspective, they're using the same names for these technologies on different vehicles, and those technologies do different things on different vehicles in their product lineup, which creates confusion for the salespeople and for the consumers that want to buy them. So I, I think you know it's definitely a uh, an area of emphasis that that someone needs to pick up. Definitely confusion there. Yes. One thing that's yeah that. Eliminate some confusion uh, over on the other side, uh, the IIHS side of things. Um, I was noticing their top picks for um, vehicles for safety. They've added uh, mm-hmm. different uh, criteria now. It used to be just crashworthiness. Now they have crashworthiness, or you know how it comes out in a crash, and then they have crash yep. avoidance and mitigation. They have child seat anchors, and then uh, most interesting to me was a headlight effectiveness. They're testing that in curves and straight ahead. Yep. And so that's pretty yep. good data over there on the the IIHS side now. And that's, I think, one of the things earlier we we touched on some of the the differences between uh, between us and uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, and um, you know certainly they're 
they're raising the bar as well. But on an on a on a regular basis, on a routine basis, we uh, are increasing the requirements for our top safety pick. And as you point out, at one point in time, that was all about crashworthiness. How well does your car protect you if you get in a crash? And now we've added to that, as you pointed out, uh, front crash prevention uh, and and headlights. And, and we're also evaluating uh, pedestrian detection and pedestrian prevention, uh, crash prevention systems. So we're constantly looking at you know, what are the big problems out there from a safety perspective and, and what are the potential fixes. And the headlight thing was a really interesting one. You know, initially, the studies of insurance data were showing that curved adaptive headlights were making a big difference. And it was a bit of a head scratcher. And finally, what, what we were able to figure out was that uh, – a problem with nighttime driving and lighting systems was that uh, the aim wasn't so good on a lot of vehicles. And so this testing program of ours helped to ensure that not only was there adequate illumination coming from the source, but that that illumination was being put in the places where drivers could benefit from it. Well, yeah, I I really enjoy the headlight effectiveness uh, graphs and whatnot now because uh, it's an issue with me. At some age, you know, yes, <laughs> it's important oh, yeah. at night. Oh yeah, where it's, before it was it was laughable that you'd even you know enter it, but uh, but I get it now. Yes, as we get older, it's night driving has become more problematic for myself and my wife, and yeah, yeah. I'm sure Bruce and his wife and many other friends. Um, it, night driving yeah. just is more problematic. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's embedded in our uh, light rating system is automatic high beams. And we touched earlier on kind of piggyback technologies, and that, that to some extent is a piggyback technology. So if you have a forward-looking camera on a vehicle that's, that you're using for front crash prevention or lane departure prevention, lane departure warning, that camera can also sense ambient light and, and oncoming headlights and can be used to control high beams. And it was one of the earlier pieces of work that we did trying to figure out what was going on with curve adaptive headlights was uh, we learned that most people don't use their high beams as often as they should. So uh, it's a technology that doesn't get talked about a lot, but automatic high beams are really good stuff because we all need, we all could use a little bit of more help seeing better at night and, and just making sure that the, the high beams are used uh, whenever they, they should be uh, can go a long way to do that. Great. Matt, um, we, as you mentioned earlier, um, we would love to sap some more of your expertise maybe at some other time, but um, we really appreciate the last half hour i've i've learned a lot in 30 minutes a lot of stuff i just was unaware of so well we know, we like what hildy does yeah we like what you guys do and and uh, i'm glad that um, the woman uh, from progressive reached out with a, a press release and some information so we want to thank matt moore as our guest today on the weekly driver podcast it's very important stuff um, in the driving world we didn't touch upon uh, how the pandemic may or may not change these things with um, you know, people are um, concerned about the world in which we live without getting too heavy-handed, and we have some stuff as a society to get through, and it, it spills over into our driving habits. So maybe at some other time we'll cover those bases. But for today, we um, again want to thank Matt. Um, Matt, I almost forgot. People can find out a lot, a lot more details on 
on uh, maybe at least one site? Because what, what is the URL if people want to get more education? Where can they find out more things? Uh, IIHS.org. Okay, great. Perfect. I thought that was it, but I didn't want to um, make a mistake there. That's a, it's the one of the great URLs because it's awfully short, and you can remember it. So, yes, IIHS.org. And I looked um, the other day, and Bruce looked. Uh, there's just so much to, to find out and to learn. So, again, Matt, thanks for your help today on our, on our podcast episode. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you, Matt. Cheers. Bye-bye.